It's good to be back with you, and um, I know um, uh, Pastor Steve is, has been here since uh, May 5th, I think, and um, I've, I've listened to Steve over the years of our friendship, and occasionally I would uh, see him on TV at Lenexa Baptist and kind of watch their services, and I know last Sunday he shared a message with you about unity, and uh, from, I think, Psalm 133. And this, this morning, and, and uh, it's not necessarily tied to what he did, but it is really kind of an application of what happens when a body of believers become unified and begin to work together to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. So a little uh, bit of background information uh, the Bible says, as King Solomon wrote in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he said there's, uh, there's a time to build and a time to tear down. And one of the challenges that we have is when do we build and when do we tear down? What do we build and what do we tear down? Now, as a, a body of believers, we know that we are to build bridges into our community to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to build relationships locally and globally so that lives can be transformed, that people can come from their sinfulness and their lostness into the light of Christ and be saved so that when they die, they know they will be in his kingdom forever through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's a building process. But then there's, there's also a, a, a time that as building, we have to tear down those walls that divide us from community and the world around us because we honestly have a tendency to want to isolate from that world. But there's also a time to tear down walls of division. And in the book of Nehemiah, as we, we look at that this morning, we're going to find that Nehemiah came to rebuild walls that had been teared, torn down. And Nehemiah came to do something to help bring unity to the people of Israel uh, who were in chaos, who had uh, been in captivity, and those who had remained in Jerusalem were really, uh, there was confusion, there was not security. Uh, the things that needed to be there weren't there for them to be the people that God called them to be. So there is a time to build, there's a time to tear down. Tear down those walls that divide us from community, but rebuild those walls that strengthen us to be the people of God to accomplish the purpose that God has for us. And, and that takes a united effort. And that's why in, in this passage that we'll look at this morning from Nehemiah chapter 4, I've titled this, uh, uh, Unified People with a Mind to Work. And I, I love this passage. I love the book of Nehemiah. There are so many tremendous principles in it. And uh, we, we certainly don't have time to go through even a little portion to, to build up to this point. But the main thing that made the main difference in their ability to accomplish what needed to be done in Jerusalem to reestablish the people, to rebuild the security of the walls, to deal with the enemy from without and within was that they had a mind, a resolve, a heart to work. And many times when there's opposition, many times when there are issues in our lives, in our families, in our churches, we can become discouraged. 
uh, we can become somewhat depressed. It's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We begin to lose hope. But, but that hope is, is there because Christ is here. And through Christ, we have the ability to rebuild the structures that need to be there so that the overall purpose of what we're here for can be accomplished. And that's what we will find in this passage this morning. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said he will build his church. We don't build it, he builds it. And he builds it through the living stones of his children. That's who we are. We are part of what Jesus is and what he does to help reestablish and strengthen the body of Christ to accomplish, again, the purpose and the commission of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations and all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when we are discouraged or we're in chaos over that, we understand the very last thing he said was that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. And that is what gives us the hope and the determination and really uh, the, the idea that we can do what God wants to do in us and through us if we do it together. And if we pick up a brick with one hand to do the work of ministry, and we pick up a sword in the other, the word of God, to fight against the enemy. And I think that is an, an exciting and a, a powerful picture that we see in this passage from Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible, um, Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, we're going to read from verse 6 through verse 23. So uh, if you will stand as we read the word of God this morning, if you're able to. Um, in recognition of his word and honoring his word. And you can follow with me. I am reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. And this is a little smaller print than my regular Bible, so we're going to see if I can get through it with the, the light here. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had the will or the mind or the resolve to keep working. When Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come out and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborer fails. Since there is so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they won't re realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who live nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. I made an inspection and I stood and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. 
When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out. We are separated far from one another along the wall. Whenever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me never took our clothes off. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. Amen. You may be seated. There's some characteristics here that I think are important because whenever God is beginning to do something, there's always going to be opposition. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king, Artaxerxes, and the people came uh, to Persia and he had heard from some of those who had come from Jerusalem and he, he heard how in disarray those people were in Jerusalem, how confused they were, how much they were struggling, the opposition that they were facing, and he had a great burden for them. And so he went to God in prayer and after he prayed, he went to the king, Artaxerxes, and he asked him, could I go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the walls? Now, Ezra had already been there and Ezra was rebuilding the temple of God, but the walls were down, which means the security of Jerusalem was down and the people uh, were really uh, diswrought as a result. And so the king, uh, because of God's working in him, said, yes, you can go. Uh, Nehemiah asked for letters so that he might get the wood that he needed and he might have protection in his travels. And he was given all of that. He arrived in Jerusalem and, and after he arrived, he understood about Sambalat and Tobiah, two of those who were governors outside of Jerusalem, one in Ammon, the other in Samaria. And they were constantly trying to take hold of what was left of Jerusalem. They were the enemy, the instigators. They were the ones that were tearing down the people. They did not want Jerusalem to be rebuilt in any way. And he understood that. So when he got to Jerusalem, uh, he went at night, uh, uh, kind of undercover uh, with just a very few people. And he went around the walls of the city of Jerusalem and inspected them. He wanted to see exactly what the problem was. That's a great principle in and of itself. Many times when you're going into a situation and you're having struggles and you're having problems, and, and sometimes when churches are having problems, you don't run right in and just start making decisions. You You do an evaluation, you do an inspection, you try to find where those walls are weak, where they've been torn down, where they need to be rebuilt. And he did that in isolation with a very few people. And once that was determined what needed to be done, then he began to call the leaders and the nobles together and give them all the leadership they needed and give them the direction that they needed to move in order to accomplish what he was there to do. 
So I, I want you to understand that there are some things that are very important characteristics that we will see from this. Now, we're not going to flesh this out completely, but I do want to draw out these characteristics based on the idea that the reason it was able to be accomplished, one, God had commanded it, God had opened the door, God had sent the leader, Nehemiah, to lead the people, but the people had a mind to work. And here's the thing to understand. God can give you the greatest leaders that are available, but if you don't have a mind, a heart, a resolve to do and follow the leadership it will not be accomplished. Now that doesn't mean follow blindly, but it means that you understand that when God sends leaders to you, they are his leaders, that they are following in his will and they are there not just to give you direction, but to love you and care for you and, and to encourage you and strengthen you and help you see what God wants to accomplish through you as a body of believers. Just like he did with the people of Jerusalem who were very downhearted, who were very depressed, and who were in great struggles. So let me give you the very first characteristic here. The people were decidedly determined. They were decidedly determined. In other words, with this resolve that they had in their heart, they were going to do what needed to be done at any, expect, at any expense that would be necessary. It says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people had a mind, a resolve, a will to work. There is a great difference between someone who had a heart or a mind to work and someone who is just putting in time. And too often the, the reason that we don't accomplish the things God wants to accomplish in us and in our families and in our church is that we are not decidedly determined to be obedient to God and to follow his, his direction and his will. In the midst of all this, Sambalat and Tobiah and others heard that the repairs were being done. So they decided to join forces to fight against Jerusalem. And it says, stir up trouble among the people. Listen, when you start serving God, when God begins to work, the opposition is going to get stronger. It's not going to back off. Anytime you make a decidedly determined decision that I am going to follow the Lord, I'm going to be obedient to him, I'm going to allow him to use me and to use us to accomplish his will, the enemy doesn't just back off, he gathers forces. And the enemy is not only from those from without, but it, they can also be from within. And so we have to be very mindful of that. One of the problems facing the church today is that we have somewhat dumbed down the expectations of what a believer and a Christ follower is. In other words, we've lowered the bar, bar so low that anybody can step over it. But Jesus had a high bar. He said, if you're going to follow me, you have to give up everything. You have to put it all aside. You have to surrender yourself totally and completely to me. It's a high bar. In fact, you remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, that it says that great crowds walked away from him and left because it was too hard a saying. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going to go as well? And Peter said, where else could we go? For you have the words of eternal life. 
There wasn't any place. Jesus had a very high bar. He never chased anybody down and jumped on them and beat them up and said, you're going to follow me. He didn't say, listen, if you'll follow me, I'm going to give you all this. And, and he didn't try to entice them. He just said, I'm, I'm Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the one who died for our sin. If you're going to follow me, you have to be all in. And you need to make that decision to be all in in order to be functional and usable. It's a very challenging thing for us today. Christianity and discipleship uh, is, is to help prepare us to be able to do that. If there's no challenge, no commitment, no convictions, if we're not challenged to, to do what God has called us to do and, and that we have to depend upon him, we can become apathetic and we can become disinterested. And when the walls start falling down and, and the insecurity is there, we get discouraged and we want to give up. But we have a greater hope than that. and We have a greater purpose and we should have a greater vision. Charles F. Ketterding was a noted scientist and inventor, and he believed the easiest way to overcome defeat was to ignore completely the possibility of failure. And many years ago, back in the 30s or 40s, he was speaking at a university, and he shared an experience that he had in that he had given one of his new hires a, a challenge, a new young engineer fresh out of, out of the university, and, and he gave him a project, and he said, I want you to solve this problem but I don't want you to go look at all the research that has been done prior to it because everybody else so far had said it could not be solved. And he gave him this, this project. He said, I want you to work on this and see what you can do with it. Months later, this young man came back to him and he said, I have solved the problem. Without looking at all the stuff that said couldn't be done, he looked at what could be done. And Dr. Kettering asked him, he said, well, well what is it that, that made you accomplish this? He said, I didn't know it couldn't be done, so I just did it. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can get so discouraged by what we don't think can happen or what we don't think God can do or we don't even think what we can do that we fail to believe or understand that God can do everything through us. If it's going to honor him and accomplish his will and his purpose, for our life and for our church. Determination is the conscious decision of the will to complete the task, the journey, or the goal at all expense. We need that challenge. We need to draw that line sometimes. You remember Joshua in Joshua 24 challenged the people of Israel. He said, you choose today whom you're going to serve, whether it's the God on the other side of the other nations or whether the, the God uh, that we serve. You choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. It's interesting that all of a sudden, all of the people of Israel and the leaders said, oh, yeah, we want to serve the Lord. And he said right back at him, you can't do it because it takes too high a commitment. And the second time they said, no, no, no. We truly want to serve the Lord. They made a decision to do what God wanted to do in order to honor and glorify him and be submissive to him. Elijah challenged the Israelites to choose in 1 Kings 18 when he was on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. He said, how long halt you or how long are you going to take between making a decision? If God's God, serve him. If he's not, go serve the others. 
He drew that line. It was a high bar. And we have to get out of that gray area and say, I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care what the opposition's doing. I don't care about the enemy that it's attacking. I am going to serve the living Christ. And I will put everything into it that I need to in order to honor him with my service. Very important. C.H. Spurgeon once said, give me a hundred men who are absolutely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and I will win the world for Christ. The second characteristic I think is important for us to understand here is that the people were persistently praying. Now remember, Nehemiah prayed up front when he heard about the plight of the people in Jerusalem. He prayed that God would open the door for him to go back and be able to lead the people and rebuild the walls of the city. Every single time he faced opposition, where do we find Nehemiah? He is praying. He called his people to pray. He said, it's time to pray. We're facing opposition. We have to come together. We have to to pray. The characteristic, characteristic is foundation of all the others. It's the principle of conscious communication or continuous communication with the Lord and relaying that information to others. Seek the Lord, hear from him, talk with him. In any battle situation, there's always those who are out on the front line of battle, but they are also always in communication with those who are the strategic leaders, the generals, the admirals, all those who, who are back here that are, are doing all the strategy and planning and, and looking how you need to fight the battle are communicating with those who are actually out on the front lines of battle. It's no different than we are in today. We need to have that communication. It says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threats that were coming. Nehemiah prayed, the people prayed. Where do we find the body of Christ when there was persecution, opposition, and oppression in the New Testament? They were praying. When Peter and John got out of prison, where did they go? When, when Peter was, was released by the angels out of prison, where did he go? He went to where the church was. And where the church was, they were praying. They were praying for him. You see, we need that element of prayer. We need that decision to be people who communicate with God. Now, Hoppentown just hosted a leadership conference, which was was uh, very good. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, part of Ravi Zacharias's ministry. And there were a couple of men there uh, from Nigeria, Hassan John and um, Justice, and I can't say his last name, but they are in the midst of dealing with the kind of persecution you and I only read about and have never experienced. Where people are being kidnapped, where they're being killed, where they're being tortured, believers in Christ. They are right in the middle of that. And one of the things that, that was so important for how they deal with it and how they work in it and how they bring hope to those who are in that oppressed area is through prayer because they know the power of prayer. Our thinking, our strategies, our ideas, our plans, uh, those, are, those are wonderful. But if we have not prayed and sought God's wisdom and his guidance, those plans are really useless. God is the one who gives us the direction we need. He is the one who is going to give us the strategies that need to be used. 
we need to be in communication with him in order to accomplish and win the battles that we face each and every day of our lives as believers. The third principle, the people were overtly organized. Now, when I mean overtly, I mean it was very transparent. Uh, everybody knew what was going on because Nehemiah communicated to everyone. In fact, I, I teach a, a class through a gateway called uh, uh, Ministry Foundations, and we deal with church administrative things. And I have a slide, and I try to help them understand that structure in the church is very important. And the structure of a church is like the skeleton of our human body. If we did not have that skeleton to kind of help everything stand up and hold together and everything be fleshed on around it, it would just be a big blob. We wouldn't be able to do anything. But the skeleton is supposed to be there to help the body do what the body needs to do. But it's also not supposed to be seen. It's not supposed to be all administration. It's supposed to be there to help structure the body so we can accomplish living life the way that we're supposed to accomplish it. Here, it is the same way. There was a structure. They were very organized. Nehemiah saw what the needs were, and he put together a plan after praying to God to devise what that plan was. In verse 10, listen to some of the complainers. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Sometimes we look at situations in our life and we go, man, there's just no hope. It's too big of a mess. A church can look at its situation and say, man, what a mess we're in. We'll never get out of this mess. But, and there are those who will encourage that. And it causes a loss of strength and a loss of vision and a loss of confidence in what God can do. In verse 11, there's the threat of the enemies. They say, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. In other words, we're not only outside attacking, but they were going to sneak in and be inside and attack so that you wouldn't even know about it. There was a threat of the enemies inside. In verse 12, it says the Jews near them, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Once that idea of defeat starts infiltrating and that hopelessness starts infiltrating a heart or a mind or a church, uh, it begins to perpetuate. And it's a downward spiral because we're looking at all the things that can happen, that somebody's saying will happen. And we become fearful of that and it starts taking us down into a, a deep, dark hole. That's pretty much exactly the opposite of what God tells us we should do when we're facing that type of opposition and those attacks. When you begin to hear complaints over and over and over, you want to tear your hair out. I've been in ministry a long time. <laughs> I actually have pictures of hair. I, I had that kind of surfer hair, you know, it was kind of long and blonde and had is really the key term there. These are not members of the local optimist club. These are people that are defeated before they even face the issues. They're defeated from the outside in and the inside out. But we are not people who are defeated. 
We are victors in Christ. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Nehemiah needed to establish to the people in, his, in Jerusalem, we can do this. God wants this done. We must do it. We must be decisive about it. We must be organized in it. And we must embrace the task and not let the enemy have any leeway. Nehemiah's Nehemiah's counterattack was this. The first thing that Nehemiah did was he unified the people around the common goal. In other words, he helped them understand what needed to be done. Look, guys, these walls are torn up. They're torn down. We need to start rebuilding. We need to get this up where there's security. We need to get the gates back on the city. There was a military strategy. He placed people in the low points of the wall and the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and bows. Instead of being spread out all over Jerusalem, Nehemiah brought families together and united them. He directed them to focus on the Lord. There's a spiritual truth strategy. He said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Listen, the battle that we face and when we're trying to rebuild and reestablish and strengthen the body of Christ, it is not just for you. It is for all those who will follow you. It is for your families. It is for your children. It is for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. It's for all those who will come after you. We have a responsibility to help strengthen and unify the body of Christ for the future ministry of any church in any community in any part of the world. Nehemiah understood this, and he gave them that command. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He is the one that will do this through you. I know you have Vacation Bible School coming up, and I'm going to have to quick this, quick this up a little bit. Um, and we do too. Our Vacation Bible School is really a sports camp. starts next uh, Monday. It's a full week sports camp. And I remember doing Vacation Bible School for years, and I love the song, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Sometimes that needs to be the rally cry behind those who are discouraged and downhearted and let God do the work that God wants to do because he is powerful enough to do it in you and through you. The fourth characteristic, the people were committed to continue. They had a mind to work and that frustrated the enemy. And that word frustrated means brought to nothing. All of their attacks were brought to nothing because the people were committed to continue to do the work they were given. Notice in verse 16, half the men worked while the other half stood guard. The officers became watchmen. Those who carried materials did not work with, uh, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side. They were ready. They were, they were ready to do battle. We have to be ready as well. Do the ministry God called to you, called you to do. Help rebuild, help unify, and carry the sword of the, of the, of the, of the gospel in your hand. The sword of the spirit to protect and to fight. Nehemiah tells the nobles and the officials and the people the work is extensive and spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. 
in that unity, in that focus, God comes and God does the battle and he accomplishes the win for us. And then he said no one was to come out or come in at night. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, it says this, for this very reason, make every effort uh, to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great passage to be remembered by us. Number five, the people had legitimate leaders. As you read through Nehemiah, you understand a couple of things. Uh, it says here in this passage that neither Nehemiah or the people took off their clothes or weapons, even uh, when going for water. In other words, and, and there's a couple other places in the book that tells us this, Nehemiah and those who were part of his leaders made the same sacrifices as the people who lived in the city and were doing the work. They were not asking the people to do anything that they themselves were not willing to do and had not made a decision and a sacrifice to do. This is a great leadership principle. They just didn't tell people what to do. They were involved in it themselves. They didn't see leadership as a position or a job. They saw it as a sacrificial ministry to be the examples and the models for other, others to follow. Very quickly, two things I want you to understand. Number one, we don't serve the Lord as a job. A job is something you do for what you get out of it. When we serve the Lord as servants of his and we're ministering in his name, ministry is something we do for others whether we get anything out of it or not. We do it for the honor and glory of God. We do it to build up his kingdom. We do it to glorify him, to strengthen the body of Christ. We don't have to have return from that. We don't have to have position. We don't have to have titles. We are servants of the living God. And that's what a ministry is. A job is what we're trying to get something out of for our work. There's none of that in the body of Christ that I can find in scripture. Well, we need to close, so let me, let me bring it to a close this way and, and, um, and help us have an understanding about something. Jesus is Lord, amen? Is there any question about that? If he is Lord and Savior of our life, we like the Savior part, we're not always really tied as much into him being Lord and Master of our lives. We've got a decision to make. Am I going to be totally and absolutely committed to serve him? Am I, am, going, am I going to let him be the priority of my life and allow him to work in me and through me and unite us together as a body to do the building that needs to happen in order for us to have the strength and the ability to go out and make disciples and to reach people? Because it takes every single one of you to be united in Christ to accomplish the work of ministry. I challenge you this morning to be decisive in your decision. You choose today. You're going to serve other gods. And listen, you're another God. When you're serving yourself over Christ, you make yourself a God. You're going to serve yourself. 
You're going to serve some other God or are you going to serve Christ? Do you have a mind, a heart, a resolve to work and serve the kingdom of God? That's the decision you need to make. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. You don't know that when you die, you'll be in, in, in the kingdom of God. And Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He died to do for you what you could never do yourself. You're a sinner. You're separated from God. You have no hope in the world. But Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave. And he opened up the very kingdom of heaven that if you would believe and put your faith in him by repenting of your sin, uh, by uh, confessing your sin, and believing that what he did was sufficient to pay the price, you can pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and give you everlasting life. And maybe you need to make that decision this morning. In fact, you do need to make that decision this morning because you don't know how long you're on this earth. And one day, you're going to stand before him, either as one of his children, or you'll be rejected by him for eternity. And believer, what decisions are you going to make this morning to help be part of the unified effort of what God wants to do in strengthening this church to be the local and national and global discipleship-making church that God designed you to be, not just for you, but for every generation that follows. You make that decision. With your head bowed, eyes closed, take just a brief moment, and you speak to God and let God speak to your heart. And then as we close here in a moment, if there's a decision or a prayer that you need to have, uh, staff will be down here. Some will be down here. You can come and pray with them and make your decision known. Father, I just pray that you'll take charge of this, that we'll be open to you, that your spirit will have freedom to work, and that we will respond in order to glorify you above all things. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, thank you this morning again for the opportunity to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you that we have the freedom to be able to do so. And we know in so many parts of the world, lives are literally being taken because they are willing to stand for Jesus Christ and not deny him. And we pray for them and we thank you for their testimony. Help us to serve you and honor you in a country where we have the, so much freedom to do so and many times are so neglectful to do so. Thank you for this church. I pray for them. ask that you lead them now as we depart, as they go to their Sunday school or their Bible studies. And that God, you'll continue to speak to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. And I just pray God will bless you and keep you. And may, may God lead you will be dismissed.